Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 257. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here this week to review and discuss Once Upon a Studio. Very excited to sit and talk about this highly touted Disney short film. Uh, They've been talking about this for a while leading up to the official celebration of Disney 100. Yeah, I mean, they released the trailer for it and immediately you're hooked seeing all of these characters in one place. Obviously, everybody's favorite character is going to be highlighted and represented in some way. So I thought that that was really cool. But I was really surprised that they went about it in that way because there was a time specifically with the Disney princess brand where they did not want all of the princesses existing in the same universe. They've always been very careful to keep things separate. And I feel like it's only more recently where, you know, they've had some people comment on that Anna and Elsa's parents are also Tarzans and it takes place in the sea where the little mermaid is set, uh, you know, and it's been confirmed as canon. Um, I feel like that's the most Disney has ever been willing to dip their toes in the water as far as cross promoting all these characters. So this was a surprise and I was really curious as to how they were going to pull it off. Well, Were they able to pull it off cohesively? Does it feel like it's just a bunch of characters thrown into the mix? And did they get everybody's favorite character? That, on top of many other things, is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by Fierce Fox Co., designers of handmade silkscreen shirts. Fierce Fox has a t-shirt, tank top, hoodie, or crew neck for every fandom. So whether it's the movies or theme parks, princesses or villains, the MCU or Star Wars, everyone will find something they love. The designs range from subtle quotes from our favorite films to iconic characters we can wear proudly in so many different styles such as sketchbook and concert tees. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 20% discount using the code MONOREAL at checkout. Visit FierceFoxCo.com to check out all of the collections. So the the short we bat lead off with the Disney Studios closing for the day. The Disney Animation Building. The animators are going home. Um... And we're about to see what happens after the doors are shut for the day. I love that they highlight Roy by holding on the animation building. And I love that they show two different generations of animators leaving for the night. Um, especially that they got uh, Bernie Mattinson. Yeah, yeah. Um he was the longest tenured Disney employee in the company's history. And they pointed out that he was he was employed at the company longer than Walt was alive. That's wild. Had Walt lived, I don't think he ever would have retired. No. I mean, he still would have been there consulting in some capacity. Like, he would have still been part of the day-to-day very much. And his presence would have obviously been felt. But when you put it in that context, obviously Walt died very young. But what a legacy, 70 years, and, and that his career lasted longer than Walt. I mean, it's amazing that they got him for this short before he passed, and, and how fitting to include him. It was perfect. Um, and If These Walls Could Talk is the perfect throw to get into the animation. I, I absolutely love how they did this. 
I uh, I love all of the nods to the animators in the black and white photos. Yes. As well as Disney's history as you're going through. It's hard to catch because they're throwing so many characters at you. But if you look closely and I mean, obviously the rewatchability is there. You're going to see something different every time. Like they included um, a piece of Mary Blair style artwork, um, you know, as some of the characters are coming out. They included the Hyperion building where it all right. started. Like there is just so much history. And it's true if the walls could talk. But they do. Because now you've got all the characters popping out. Um I really think that doing the group picture was the perfect way to go about this and the perfect excuse to get everyone together. And I think it is so impressive how they managed to blend the hand-drawn and the computer animation. Yeah. Well, I think that's that's the most impressive thing, right? Is you have this genius plot that they're all going to get together for their group photo. And we've seen in almost every documentary that Disney has done, there always tends to be a group photo taken on the steps of the animation building. Like there was a big, that was a big theme in Waking Sleeping Beauty, for example. So it makes sense that that's what they were going to do. Yeah, before they carelessly tossed the animators over to the trailers. Right. Um, but I, I love that that's kind of a through point you know what I mean? Like th that that's that's a tradition that even the beloved characters are uh, keeping alive. But the blend of because you have to realize you are blending live action settings with 2D animation and 3D animation. Um, and with the shadows that they have, like it not only does it look flawless, but as I watch it, I believe that these characters are actually standing there. Yeah, this whole thing is a straight-up flex. Um, and I love the pairings of these characters, too, especially when you're delving deep into the archives with the lesser-known characters. Um, I, I love how they pick them, and I don't think it was random. I mean, would it have been fun to throw all the names in a hat, pick them out, and see what you come up with? Absolutely. But I think this was done... Very intentional. Like, I love the way that Peter Pan is worked in, where uh, he's asked to go round up the top floor because they can fly. And then, you know, you do get the Bobby Driscoll audio. And you do get that iconic sequence of the kids following Peter. And they, they go up to the window and they do the dive, much like they do over London. I thought that that was perfect. A um, couple of my personal favorites. Um, I loved that we had, I mean... Of course, I love any time we see Elliot, but I love that he's carrying um, the kid from Rescuers Down Under, whose name escapes me at the moment. <laughs> uh, but you also got Joanna the Goanna, who I yep. was like, wow, they are really pulling the deep dives out here. Um, I loved um, Vanellope dri Dodger. driving around Dodger. I thought that was so clever. It was so great. Um, I love Stromboli at the vending machine. I thought that was hysterical. <laughs> He's cursing the thing out. That was sheer perfection. Um, I loved Anna and Elsa. I think that was like such a great little beat between the two of them. And they shove Hans back where he belongs. Um, and then they do let it breathe a little bit too. Like for example, Sloth asking them to hold the elevator. Yeah. Flash. Flash. Yeah. Thank you. Um, not only was it so funny, but it was such a clever way to hold the shot on some of your more notable animators again and really 
get them their highlight that they deserve. And not only that, but it gives you a reason to get Donald angry. Yeah, and then Baymax, like, doubles down on it because now he has to hold the elevator. I love that moment. Um, Probably, I mean, I think mine and everyone's favorite, the Olaf-Genie pairing. It's perfect. perfect. Probably your two, arguably your two most beloved characters. So to have that interaction, and I am so glad that they used... Robin Williams' actual audio to pull this off. I mean, what's really impressive is that they got everyone who is alive back to voice their character, which, you know, we talk a lot about Disney being a business and budget, 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 but like they actually spent the money here and it paid off because you have to pay every single one of them. Right. No matter how short the line is, no matter how much time it takes, you're paying them to be there. So it's impressive that they got everyone back to do it. I'm glad that they recycled audio where they could for Bobby Driscoll and Robin Williams. And then for other um, voice actors who have since passed, they I think Jim Cummings covered most yeah. of them. Um, but I really love that they did that instead of having the more iconic actors voiced by somebody else. I, I And I'm glad that the, their characters weren't left on the sidelines either. Yeah, I loved Scrooge, that Scrooge was shown. And what a perfect pairing that he drops his money and here comes Little John and Robin Hood, Oodalali, and they grab the money. Like It's it, the perfect throw. It was, it might have been the, of all of the mixing that we saw, and I think you're right, putting Olaf and the genie together was outstanding, but... I would even say that that was probably the most perfect throw in the film. I would agree with that, but honorable mention for the Cheshire Cat coming up over Gaston. Yeah, that was Because you know he's good. feeling himself, and then his eyes start to bug out. Uh, I didn't even recognize what was happening at first, but then that smile creeps up, and I was like, that's pretty genius. And then, you know, you've got all of, you know, there's just, again, so much coming at you at once, and then... They give you a chance to breathe again. And naturally, they go for the jugular. You've got this beat where Mickey walks up the stairs and he sees the picture of Walt. Did we know we were going to get this? Yes, I think we all did. Right. And I think you had to. You're going to do a, a short called Once Upon a Studio, you know, paying homage to 100 years of Disney animation. You have to include Walt in some way. But I'm glad that this was how they did it. I didn't need a hologram. I didn't need audio. I think that this was the perfect fitting tribute. And of course they sting you with feed the birds. Oh my God. And as if it's not sad enough just to hear that piano coming through, they didn't recycle that sound either. They brought in Richard Sherman to record it on the piano in Walt's office. Like how perfect, like that is the attention to detail that you expect from Disney. And I just love that they did that. The only thing that I, I hate even saying this, that I slightly bump on something because this is so well done. Um, I feel like Mickey saying thanks, gotta go, just isn't enough. Like, I was wishing for a thanks, wish you were here. Yeah, um, on with the show, I think is what he says, right? Like That works, that like, works That for works, me. but I, I would agree with you, I felt like... 
maybe that should have been the only thing that he said. Let him have that beat where he just looks at the portrait and then just says, on with the show. That would have probably been enough. And in fact, may have carried a little bit more weight. Um, I mean, I certainly, I, I didn't have an adverse reaction to it, but um, yeah, I, I think that there was almost a little too much said in that moment, as no, odd as that may sound. Mickey does have plenty of speaking lines oh, yeah. in this. They certainly gave Brett Iwin his his showcase here, but in that moment, I think it was a case of less is more. I would agree. I would agree. Um, I love when we start getting outside. Not only do we get more characters, not only do we get Wreck-It Ralph, who calls, hysterically, calls Mickey Mouse Garfield. (laughs) But another really flawless um, pairing is Toad flying out on the carpet. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. And that's where you can tell this was not done randomly. It was intentional. You know, you're going to one-up his crazy driving in the car, what better way than to give him the carpet? And I love how it, it throws scars line. Um, I mean, you, you get the classic I'm surrounded by idiot, but like they, they brush past him and uh, he stumbles a little bit. I thought that that was really, really funny. Um, And I love how they carry this through to the end. I love that we get the sleeping beauty fairies arguing to make it pink, make it blue with the sorcerer's hat. Perfect. Um, and this is where, again, all of these characters were picked so intentionally because everyone is playing to their strengths here. You've got Rafiki raising up a camera like Simba to pass it to Goofy. Of course, Goofy is taking a picture. Of course, he's on a ladder. And of course, he goofs, which is being commentated by Iago, who is waiting for him to fail. Like, just perfect. And then when you think it can't get any better, Felix comes in to fix it. That was perfect. Incredible. And then everybody joins in song. It even gets called out. It's self-referential. Like, I knew this was going to happen if they all got together. Um, But I think that this was such a fitting way to have everybody singing When You Wish Upon a Star. And even especially the way that they build to it, too. They start singing and then you get the aerial shot of the roof of the building. You've got Quasimodo up there. Like, what better way to to work him in? I, I thought it was just so great. Um, it, it th- They did integrate everybody properly and where they should. Um, but I do want to call two things out. There are two things to me that are missing. One that I totally don't understand. And one that I also don't understand, but yet I understand at the same time. You could have easily made the case that this was a film that was made using only characters from the Disney animated classics, right? Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, The Rescuers, Rescuers Down Under, Lion King. However, you do have Elliot. And that is not a film that is a Disney animated classic. That's an animated character. In a live action. Much like this was. But which film did it the best of anyone who framed Roger Rabbit? Roger Rabbit is not here. I don't know why Disney continues when they were going to hang their hat on Roger Rabbit. And it's not like it's not like like crowds didn't have 
a a uh, polarizing view of Roger Rabbit when it came out or even now. In fact, people want more of Roger Rabbit. How Roger Rabbit is missing from this, I don't quite understand. I guess you'll call it Touchstone, but Touchstone was owned by Disney, and for a while, their plan was to make him the face of MGM Studios. They thought he would be the next Mickey Mouse that was Disney animation. Oh, yeah. No Max Goof. Max Goof is not in this either. Oh, yeah, and you could have very easily had him holding the ladder for Goofy. Correct. Just to get him in there. That I did not catch. Um, I didn't catch Roger either, but my guess would be that because they spent so much getting all of the voice actors together for this, they probably didn't want to have to, you know, throw some money Spielberg's way because it it is technically co-owned by both parties. True. So I'm, I'm wondering if, if that was the hiccup, but yeah, I mean, we've talked about it at length, how, how we really don't appreciate how Roger's legacy just gets, you know, cast aside. Yeah. But with all of that being said, um, I think that this was an absolutely brilliant, brilliant film. Um, it's a short film. Could I give it perfect marks? I could give it perfect marks, um, but but it, at the end of the day, it has a 15-minute runtime on Disney+, Plus, but it's not truly 15 minutes. A lot of that is the credits. Yeah. Um, I mean, for what it is, I very much enjoyed it, um, and I think that it was a very fitting... Uh, I thought it was a very fitting tribute to the company that has celebrated, you know, 100 years of magic, Um yeah, it's, if if you're a Disney fan, I mean, it tugs at your heartstrings. It absolutely does. Um, I think I I was about to give it a perfect until I realized that, or until you pointed out that they left Roger Rabbit out of this. Um, so it's just shy. But other, I mean, looking at it from a short film standpoint, that is perfect. It's a, a quick story that gets you in, gets you out. It is self-contained. The premise is just simple enough, but it still tells a complete story. So I thought that that was, that in and of itself was perfect, but the way that they do it through this nostalgic lens and they're able to blend everything together, this is a feat. This is what you expect from Disney. I wish they would flex more like this. And honestly, I I mean, was I in tears watching it? Absolutely. Because it was meant to tug at your heartstrings, but this is where... You know, it was kind of bittersweet just looking at the way that things are right now because right. it shows that they are still capable of greatness like this. And we're just not seeing that right now. And I, I wish that the effort, the clear effort that was put into this is is being implemented across the board, which is not what you feel with everything else right now. And equally as frustrating... They clearly can still do TD, uh, 2D animation. Yes. And they're doing it very well. Mm-hmm. And we all want more 2D animation, but they just seem hesitant to give it to us in a more regular capacity. 
But we are interested in knowing what you have to say about Once Upon a Studio. You can let us know on X, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. When we were planning our first family trip to Disney World, uh, Jackie was the first person that we thought of. Jackie helped us with every step of the planning, and she helped us pick the right hotel for our itinerary and our budget. She also gave us uh, great recommendations when it came to scheduling our parks, our dining reservations, and the attractions. These days, it feels like there's a lot that goes into planning a Disney trip, and there's a lot that we just didn't know about Disney World, and we're just so thankful for Jackie's advice and making it all a little bit easier. Yeah, when we got to the property, we, we realized we wanted to add on another park day, so we texted Jackie early in the morning, and she got back to us right away, and that really helped us make it happen. We had some amazing meals and drinks. We went to Cinderella's Royal Table. We went to Oga's Cantina. We rode Rise of the Resistance without waiting on a long line. And on Jackie's recommendation, we saw the Epcot fireworks from the Skyliner. This was an unforgettable family trip to Disney World, and Jackie made it happen. Thank you, Jackie. So if you are interested in completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, perhaps you would like to take a trip out to Disneyland and go see these iconic studios for yourself, you can get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets, or you can email me directly, monorealradio at gmail.com. So we have quite a bit of news that has broken in the last couple of days. Uh, Let's start with some movie news, which shouldn't really surprise anybody at this point. Um, As we know, the writers and the actors uh, on strike for a considerable amount of time uh, the, the writers have settled. That strike has ended. However, the actors are still on strike at the time of this recording. Supposedly, they're getting close to a three-year contract. They're, they're talking. But still, they are on strike. So it comes as no surprise to hear that two of Disney's uh, films slated for next year have now been pushed an, an additional year. So pushing back into 2025, that is Elio and Snow White. I think Snow White was going to get pushed anyway... Yeah, that that should surprise no one. But I think the hiccup that they're probably running into with Elio is if they need additional voiceover, uh, they're not able to get it right now. So this is a case of production or post-production actually being halted. Um, It's not a bad move, though, because obviously the industry has been shut down for more than half the year. So anything that was able to shoot in early 2023, you were able to get that into post the back end of this year, you'll still get it out for 2024. Um, Anything that was planned to go into production in the back end of 2023, that's all getting pushed into 2024 or, you know, God willing, whenever the strike, the the actor strike ends. Um, So your 2024 slate still has a chance of having a solid amount of films released, but where you're really going to feel the effect is like your Thanksgiving film of 2024, your Christmas films of 2024. So I think that maybe this was also partly a strategic move to try and space things out a bit um, so that they do have enough content for, you know, you know, where they need to fill it in or for 2025, because this is going to have a ripple effect for a while. Correct. Um, and in parks related news, 
um, we got the word that Disney After Hours events are coming back, and all I can say is it's about time. I'm sort of surprised that it took as long as it did. I understand that back end of the year is, of course, going to be filled with very merry and not so scary, but I am surprised that some of these After Hours events, they didn't try to gun them in earlier this year to coincide with the tail end of Disney World, you know, Disney 50. I think what that comes down to is budget and staffing, because if you think about it, um, you know, yes, you have Not So Scary and Very Merry and now Jollywood Nights. Um, Those are special events. They are special ticketed events, which are different because they will close the parks early. And yes, they will extend hours, but these are after hours. And I think that people don't necessarily realize that there is a difference. After hours means after park close. You're not cutting into anyone's day who has a vacation planned. This is really an opportunity if you're trying to get on those hard to get rides, the ones with the long waits, this is where it really pays to do your after hours event. But I think that the double-edged sword for Disney is that yes, it is extra tickets that they're selling to these events. You have to staff overtime. Right. And I think that that's probably what the hesitation was to bring them back for a while. But starting on January 10th at Hollywood Studios and January 11th at the Magic Kingdom after hours party starts and then we also have February 2nd at Epcot. And those uh, will, will go do. until about April. Which would make sense because that would lead you through spring break crowds right before you get super busy again in the summertime. Um, and I wonder if they would consider doing more of them say between uh, Memorial Day weekend through 4th of July weekend, because again, you're going to have a lot of people, a lot of tourists coming into town. All of the schools would be off by then. I wonder if they would try to squeeze blood from a stone one more time before you get into August and you start rolling out with the not-so-scary Halloween party again. See, I feel like that's where it would make sense, right? I mean, the idea here is that they're trying to capitalize on a less busy time of year and make more money that way. But if you are concerning yourself with guest experience, you know, not that you and I have ever really gone over the summer just because it's so hot. But if we were, let's say, vacationing over the summer, that's when I would be inclined to do it so that we did get that padding and we were able to, you know, if we hadn't gotten on Tron yet, make sure, I mean, we still haven't at the time of this recording, but yeah. we'd make sure that we got on on that vacation if we weren't going to be back for a while. Yeah. But I mean, they're saying that, you know, at Hollywood studios, they're advertising it as, you know, hang out in Andy's backyard in toy story land. You're going to have access to everything in galaxy's edge. Make sure that you get on Mickey and Minnie's runaway railway They're You know, they're obviously hitting the big attractions that always have long waits. You know, it's the mine train or uh, or the runaway railway. It's Slinky Dog. It's Rise of the Resistance. Um, at Magic Kingdom, Tron, the Light Cycle Run, the Mine Train, Jungle Cruise. These are the ones that are uh, obviously they're they're doing a standby line for Tron, which I 
find very interesting that they'll run a standby queue during this particular after hours event. But if I remember correctly, they were not doing it during not so scary. I think you still needed to get on the virtual queue. I believe you're right. But I think that you can sort of get away with that because these are even more limited tickets that are being sold. Yes. And then obviously they come at a very uh, high price point. Um, they're they're going to be doing enchantment for the after hours, um, which is kind of exciting because I love happily. I like happily more than enchantment, but I always did like enchantment. So I think the fact that you can reuse that show and I think the fact that you could take something that was meant for something so special like Disney 50 and now you can repurpose it in an after hours event. I, I like the fact that they're not just wasting it. I would agree. And I think that that is a compliment to them paying attention to guest experience, because if you didn't have a chance to make it for the 50th and experience enchantment, now you've got the second shot at it. Right. And then at Epcot, they're obviously really hitting you with Cosmic Rewind, Remy's Ratatouille Adventure and Soren. And Test Track. So we know that that's going to have the refurb. But now we kind of have an idea of how long the current test track is still going to be sticking around because it's got to be through at least April. Yeah, at least through April 4th because that's the last date of the parties at Epcot. Um, I mean, I'll be honest with you, knowing how long it takes Disney to do most refurbs, I would imagine that at this point you're not going to see test track go down until early 2025 for a refurb because if you're... If you're doing these parties through April 4th, you're not going to want Test Track closed before the summer tourist season. And Disney is always somewhere between three to five months doing refurbs. I can almost see them waiting until after Marathon Weekend 2025 so that it's ready to roll and they'll do a relaunch Memorial Day of 2025. That's, I mean, that's going off of nothing more than an educated guess. If they can turn it around that quickly. I mean, it depends on what they're doing, right? Right. Um, but time will tell. Um, and these these tickets are going to range anywhere between 149 and 175 a night, I'm sure, depending on are they doing the party on a Saturday versus a Tuesday? Are you going in mid-February or are you going during spring break? Um, but they will have specially priced tickets for uh, APs and Disney Vacation Club members. Yes. So we are interested in hearing your level of excitement about the after parties. Do you plan on attending? You can let us know on X, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so, uh, so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. I just gave you all of that social media. Don't forget, we are also on Threads and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. Um, Make sure to like, subscribe, and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. And for links to everything related to the show, it is going to be online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.